Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silken in Edinburgh. Joined as always by Frank Cogliano. How are you doing, Frank? David, I'm great. Thank you very much. Uh, and today, uh, and I think you know, you know I have this on your calendar, I have this on my calendar, but listeners may not. Today is opening day in baseball, which is the start of, uh, it's like spring coming, life is, is new again, and everything is looking great for both of our teams because they haven't lost any games. It's the real first day of the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, for those who practice. Yes, yeah, so for those <laughs> Uh, and this may be a slightly inside baseball episode, but we will do our best to try to explain. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, yeah, this is, yeah. uh, to, I'm going to try to keep the baseball puns to a minimum but, and fail. Um, we're going to try to explain some of the things we're talking about in the episode today uh, to, to those people who are not uh, aficionados of the game. Um, but one of the things that, that is new this year uh, in baseball, there, there has been some rule changes uh, there's now a pitch clock. There are uh, now larger bases, uh, and they've outlawed the shift and a few other sort of minor things. So today we're going to talk about the history of rule changes in baseball. And I, I want to start, Frank, by, by giving you a... a... <laughs> David, sorry. That sound you're not hearing is all of our non-American listeners and many of our U.S. listeners turning off right now. So if you're still with us, welcome. Okay. <laughs> this will be fun even if you don't like baseball. And if you don't like baseball... Maybe you'll like it with the new rules. Um, That's the goal. Exactly, right. So I'm going to give you a paradox for you. Every time they change the rules in baseball, purists complain about changing the rules in baseball. But every time they change the rules in baseball, they do so to make the game more like the game used to be. Discuss. I would slightly challenge the premise of that question. I think you're right. Every time they change the rules in baseball, the purists complain. And if we know one thing, it's they've been changing the rules in baseball since about 1845. Yes. Um, so the rules have constantly been evolving. I don't think they're always trying to make it the way it used to be. I think they're trying to make it, certainly this, this new set of rule changes is to try and shorten games and make it more attractive to people. Mm. There's a fear on the part of... Major League Baseball, at least, mm. that the game is in danger because only guys like us, and I say guys, you know, sort of men over 40, yes. especially white guys over 40, like it. Um, I, now, this is a truism in baseball. They've been worried about this for as long mm. as it's been baseball, frankly, um, and, and the fan base. Uh, I think there are reasons why they shouldn't be worried, and mm. we can talk about that if you like. Uh, so I don't think they want to make it the way it used to be so much as they're always worried about, and certainly in the past 20 mm. years, they've been worried about competing with people's mobile yeah. phones and competing with Netflix and competing with basketball and most importantly American football, mm. which in the U.S. cultural landscape dominates sports to the exclusion of almost everything else. And they're worried about soccer. Football as a, as a mm. summer uh, challenger to, to to baseball, but uh, so I'm not sure they always want to make it the way it was. Well, and, and the reason why I say that is, you know, you did point out that you have changed the rules a lot since 1845, when when Alexander Cartwright published the Knickerbocker rules, which are supposed to be the first versions of the rules of baseball, um, or at least the, the first codified, written down version. Um, but the rules haven't changed actually that much since 1920 or so. For the past hundred years. Baseball rules compared to other major sports have changed relatively infrequently. And I think there's a sense in which the rules are um, and the game itself should be less dy dynamic in how it changes rather than, say, in the 
competitor sports you're talking about, like football and basketball, where the rules do change pretty dramatically year on year, um, and, and the game looks very different. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would agree with that. I, I think, you know, if you took somebody, if we had a time machine and you were able to transport them from one of the 15 games being played across North America today to opening day 1950, say. Yeah. The game would basically look the same. You know, the uniforms are bad here. They're made of wool, things like that. Yeah. Uh, the crowd's better dressed. <laughs> um, but, but basically, it looks fundamentally the same. I think you're right. Whereas if you took somebody from a National Football League, American football in this context, game, you know, in 2023 and sent them back to 1950, mm. the game would be almost unrecognizable. I think that's right. So, so I, I agree with that premise that the and and one of the one of the things that's interesting to me interesting to me as a historian and a baseball fan is this imagined continuity over time that hmm. is a big part of baseball's appeal. Frankly, I mean, baseball kind of trades on that. Yeah, I think that's uh, right. You that's know, right. it's it's got the the major leagues have this lineage going back to eighteen seventy six. Um, you know, which is unique in global sport, actually, and mm. kind of unbroken. I mean, whether it's the same game in 1876 as it is in 2023 mm. is, is debatable, but there is a kind of continuity there um, and, and a historical kind of sensibility in baseball mm. that makes it unique, um, it's certainly among the North American, the major North American sports. Yeah, and I think that that speaks to the, the, you know, how important records are in baseball compared to other sports you know the kinds of ways in which home run records or, or whatever get have a, a presence that that say touchdown records may not have um yeah i mean i i have no idea i don't actually care that much about the nfl in truth but mm -hmm. if I, I have no idea about I, what the all-time passing record is for example in 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 mm -hmm. the national football league i don't know what it yeah. is. whereas Baseball fans can mm. can kind of yeah you know or 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 recite uh, the the major records yeah, pretty consistently. Yeah, those numbers have mean. Or when LeBron James passed uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's scoring record earlier this year, that was not the same sort of new, didn't get the same kind of news coverage, I think, as when Pete Rose passed Ty Cobb's record. Sure, although we're in a different media landscape, it did get a lot of attention. But that was a couple of months ago. I couldn't tell you what the record is. Yeah, to be sure. You know, it's, yeah. it's in the thousands of points, so it's a it's it's a big number anyway. But it's not it's not an iconic. It was an iconic moment, or mm -hmm. a manga fact. It was presented as an iconic moment, mm -hmm. but it's not an iconic number, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so, what do you think about the we got the three? There's a couple of big rule changes this year. What do you think about the, the rule changes? We have the pitch. Well, we should explain what they are first. We have a pitch clock now for the first time. The baseball famously has never had a clock before, and now we've got a clock. Uh, pitchers have, I think it's 15 seconds uh, with nobody on base and 20 seconds with people on base to throw a pitch. And uh, batters have eight seconds once the pitcher gets the ball to, to be in the batter's box. Um, and this is intended to try to speed up the game, which has gotten progressively longer uh, in recent decades. And the hope is to return baseball back to something that is closer to, to two and a half hours rather than something that's three, three and a half, four hours like it is now. Thoughts on the pinch clock? I think this is a great idea, and and it's a I, you know people have been sort of gnashing their teeth and rending their garments, saying because one of the cliches mm. is baseball is the only game without a clock. 
that's actually, it's still without a clock in the sense that a clock is not determining when it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just speeding things up during play. Our two teams, the Red Sox on my in my case and the Yankees in yours, are largely responsible for this because the unbelievably tedious, tediously long games mm. really, really started. I mean, the, the, the games have been getting longer since the 1980s. But in the early aughts, when when the Red Sox Yankees rivalry was at a real uh, fever pitch, to use a yeah. <laughs> expression, um, those games were endless, and even regular season games between the two teams were endless. And mm. you know, between the pitching changes and Noma Garcia Para uh, adjusting yeah. his pitching gloves for twenty or thirty or forty seconds at every at bet between every pitch. Um, the constant, you know, the, the Red Sox-Yankees games became interminably long. Hmm. And they weren't solely responsible, but, but I think they're emblematic of, of the problem. Um, I have somewhere here the box scores from all the games I went to down to about the invention of the internet. Because I used to keep the box scores wow. of games I went to. And if you look at those box scores, they've got the length of the, 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 length of the game as part of the record of the game. And those games were two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes, maybe three hours. And that was pretty routine in the 70s and 80s and the 90s. Mm. It started to get longer in the 90s. And now they're routinely three and a half hours. So I think the pitch clock, I think speeding things up does not fundamentally change the nature of the game. This is one where it's going back to what it was. I think it will speed things up in a good way. That's largely wasted time when people are on their phones not paying attention. I went to a game last summer, a minor league game, and the pitch clock was rolled out in the minor leagues last year. I went to a minor league game. I went to see the Lynchburg Hillcats last summer in Lynchburg, Virginia, and they had a pitch clock. Game was over in about two and a half hours. It was great. Hmm. I love going to baseball games, but two and a half, three hours is about right. Yeah. Four hours is tedious. Yeah. I mean, looking at how they got used in, in spring training, it seems like, there's going to be an adjustment period where, where both batters and pitchers are going to take some time to get used to this. Uh, that's going to take probably this season for that to happen. There's going to be some weird things that happen. There was a game in, in, in uh, spring training where, where there were bases loaded and and the batter, I think, was called out because he had stepped out of the batter's box or was called. For, I don't remember what, what the details of it were, but but like the game was decided. It was actually a Red Sox game. It was oh, called third strike. strike. Yeah. yeah. Um, it reminds me in, in the late '80s they decided to sort of reinforce the balk rule, and all of a sudden, right, yeah. you know, like there were like you know twenty balks in the first week or something, and everyone thought it was you know a catastrophe, and then everyone figured out how, how to make a full and discernible stop. And well, and, and two years ago, remember they cracked down on pitchers using sticky stuff. To, sure, and. and uh, you know, there was a crackdown for about two weeks when everybody pictures were being searched, Nerched, and exactly. have searched, and all this kind of stuff. And then everybody got used to it. Mm. It'll be fine. They're, you know, these are professional athletes. They can they can adjust. Well, one hopes. Uh, bigger bases. The bases are going to be slightly bigger. They're going from 15 inches to 18 inches, and this is done ostensibly for safety reasons, so that the players will have more room to navigate around the bag, but also in the hopes that it will increase uh, stolen bases. Thoughts. Um, Alex Cora, the manager of the Red Sox, said the ba- new bases look like pizza boxes. I think he's probably exaggerating. Mm. <laughs> um, I don't think this is a... I, I think of the three new rule changes, this is probably the least important. Mm. However, if you think about the number of times that plays at any of the bases 
are marginal and they yeah. come down to, you know, they're really close. Well, another three inches... Makes a huge difference. I don't know about huge. Might make a difference. Well, in, intriguingly, difference. that the 90 feet between bases is actually one of the oldest parts of the baseball rules. Like, they, that was well-established in the sort of mid-19th century, that that was the distance between the bases. And, you know, even shortening that slightly, you know, does... But it's 90 feet from the center of the base to the center, center of the, the base. base. That right. hasn't changed. Yes, but the, side, the base is bigger than... than um, you know, the distance the person has to go to be safe is, is, you know, theoretically, you know, six inches shorter. Sure, and players are fitter and um, faster than they've been. Well, not faster, but well, it depends on whether they're taking steroids, of course. But uh, um, They're better conditioned. Yeah, than better conditioned. So, so it might make a difference. And I think you and I were talking before this, before we started recording, I, I think because of the emphasis in recent years mm. on uh, both, the speed of pitching, so mm. so that like pitchers now routinely hit a hundred miles an hour, whereas twenty years ago a couple of guys could do mm. that. Uh, but also because of the changes in the game, for all kinds of reasons, home runs are up and strikeouts are up, up and walks are up and walks are up. But but steals were down mm. because there was no incentive to steal because you wouldn't want to give away an out if there was a possibility of hitting a home run. Right. Right. I think anything that increases the success of stealing bases is a good idea. I think that's an exciting aspect of the game that's gone out. And this is a case where they are trying to go back to the way things were, say, 30 years ago. And I think that will be a welcome... I, I think a welcome addition. Remember, when the base is increasing, is increasing in size from 15 square inches to 18 square inches... It's increasing on all sides, mm. so it's not increasing three sides, sort of three inches one way and yeah. not another. It's it's you know so so it's not it's not a six inch difference between bases actually. It's a three inches, but from both sides. Yeah, but from both sides. But you don't run to the um, on, our, the far our, side of a base. Anyway, so 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 it's it's not actually that huge an, an increase. increase. I I I think. I think this might have a marginal impact. It will be interesting to see with, whether. In conjunction with the other changes, mm. stolen bases are up. Because remember, one of the aspects of the pitch clock that's interesting is pitchers can't throw to first base or second base to hold a runner on mm. as much as they could before. Sure. They can only do that twice. And so if, if they do that once, the man on base mm. it will, will have an incentive to take a larger lead. So I think all of these things combined will lead to more stolen bases. But I'm not sure the size of the bases is, is that important. Okay. I hope. I also there's there also does seem to be like the main reason at least they claim is for fewer injuries and when they've done this in the minor leagues there does just mean decline in injuries uh, as a consequence from fewer players colliding with one another which is a good thing. I've got a scar on my leg from when a person stepped on my back of my heel from trying to step on a bag when I was playing first base. But anyway, uh, you know, a bigger bag may have saved my scar from my injury. Uh, third thing is but 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 David yes. If you hadn't had that, you wouldn't be the historian you are today. You would have gone on to become a professional baseball Guarantee player. Guarantee you that's not the case. There were other signs. There were other signs sending me in that direction even as a young man. Yeah, so, uh, and the shift. So this, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with, with the shift, it is something that has become much more prevalent, especially in the past seven or eight years, in which uh, players are being moved out of their traditional positions to... Um, Either to, uh, yeah, uh, so we often have a like third baseman, they're basically playing on top of second base to try to be uh, where the ball is going to be hit based on lots of statistical information we now have uh, about where hitters actually hit. 
Thoughts on the shift? Yeah, well, the shift the, the shift has deep roots in the game. I yes. Mean, the, the, the kind of most prominent early example of this was the shift that was employed against Ted Williams for the Red Sox. So, by, the, uh, by the Indians, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, to, you know, basically the Indians manager recognized, the Cleveland manager recognized that, that Williams was pulling the ball, and so they moved the infielders around to do this. What's happened recently, and I'm not against analytics in baseball. Mm. In fact, I quite enjoy analytics. I read baseball prospectus. I don't always understand the math, but I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in analytics. But the analytics got so good mm. that they know, you know, they basically have data on where everybody's likely to hit the ball, mm. um, even relatively unheralded, yeah. uh, little-known players. And so they're sh- they were shifting. The infielders around to, to to respond to this, and it was so effective that it was kind of killing offense in the game. So whereas Cleveland's use of the shift against Ted Williams was sort of intuitive, you know, he pulls the ball to the right, so let's let's, mm. let's watch that. Although in their case, it wasn't effective. He, no. Ted Williams learned how to hit the other way and all kinds of things. So That's right. Like, and my 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 initial response to the ban on the shift was to kind of take a Ted Williams position, mm. which is, you know what, Ted Williams learned to hit around the shift, learned to hit around the shift. So if they're leaving, if they move all the infielders to one side of the infield, that means the other side is wide open, hit to the opposite mm. field. That's easier said than done. Um, and it doesn't seem to have happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I Again, I think this will, to go back to your original question, restore the game to the way it used mm. to look. Um I don't. Th- I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out. I think it will probably increase offense. It should again increase stolen bases as well. I think. I think it's because the hit and run will be back in play, right. um, which and, is basically a, a play that is, is more or less dead at the moment. Right. But teams don't use it, whereas the, for for non baseball people, the hit and run is where the runner on base tries to. It, it runs like they're going to steal. And the which causes the infield to move around uh, to respond to that, and the batter tries to hit the ball where the infielders used to be. Right. So uh, it was a very popular play in, in the dead ball era. It was a very popular play uh, in various other points in time, but it's not something that happens very much anymore. So I I I think all three of these rules, which have people kind of tearing their hair out, mm. or some people, in fairness, uh, are fine. Yeah. I think they're all good. I, I, I will wait and see. I, I'm open-minded about these. Mm. I think um, the pitch clock will have the biggest impact, but I actually think that'll probably be a positive impact. Mm. I think, you know, getting games back under three hours. And three hours, look, it's a summer game. It's nice to be outside. It's, it's, it's Three hours is fine. Mm. Three and a half, four hours is too long. It's too much to expect. You know, and, and you know, the, one of the great things about soccer, and I say this as somebody who's had it, I don't have a season ticket now, but I have had season tickets in the past in Scotland. You know, I used to leave the house at, I don't know, 2.15 for a 3 o'clock kickoff and, and say, well, I'll be back at 5.05. Mm. And you could pretty much set your watch by it because you knew exactly how long the game was going to go. With with the, you know, there was obviously some injury time added on. But basically, you know how mm. long the game is going to be, and that's a that's a good thing. Yeah. It's, it's good for television broadcasters, but it's also good for viewers, sure. whether in person or, or on TV. And, well, and it's, it's hard to go to a 7 o'clock game if you're not going to get home until midnight. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so um, I think these will mainly... Should generate more offense and will mainly uh, and will also speed things up a little bit. And I think those are welcome developments because I think it's a great game. But it's 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 
it's kind of gone in its own way in recent years. I don't think there's as much of a crisis as some people would have you believe. Well, I think I think the fact that that purists, you know, do talk about things as being in a crisis whenever they make relatively minor changes. I think that speaks to the very particular way that baseball fans relate to the game and the way in which they they, they want the game to, to not change. There's a long American tradition, as Perry Miller the, <laughs> told us 70 years ago, of Americans believing in declension and everything's in decline and the, mm. the good old days were always better. And, and I think that, again, that imbues this the historicity we have around baseball that we don't have around mm, other sports. So, so if there is a you know a, an attempt to sort of create an internal baseball where, where you, as you point out, like you know you can go back to the game in 1950, it looks more or less like it does today. I think there is one moment in baseball history that that seems like there is a shift where things are fundamentally different. I think that's 1920. Do you agree? Yeah. I, I thought you were going to say 1947. <laughs> okay, well, there's that, but that's we'll get to that because that, that's also a clear divide. But but 19 in terms of the rules, at least uh, 1920. Yeah, that's um, when the spitball is outlawed. Yeah, among other things. things. Right. So so uh, and uh, the ball was enlivened tremendously, right. which is not, I guess, technically a rule, but it is a sort of a, a change in practice. practice. Change in practice, and, and um, you know. Looking at baseball before 1920 and after 1920, those are fundamentally different games in the way that they're played. Um, uh, and for those of you who are just want some more context about this, uh, prior to 1920, there were very, very few home runs. Uh, there was a young player, uh, first for the, uh, for, the, for the Red Sox and then later for the Yankees, who was starting to change that in the, the 19-teens. Uh, a guy who had 29 home runs in 1919, that's Babe Ruth, but which demolished the home run record at that point. Uh, but home runs were very rare. Um, you know, lots of singles and doubles, lots of stealing bases, but very, you know, very little of what the game looks like today. Uh, and 1920, they changed the rules in part in response to the Black Scott scandal of 1919, uh, which was a scandal in which uh, eight players for the Chicago White Sox threw or tried to throw or committed or collided with or They colluded. sought to fix the World, World Series. Series. Right. Whether all of them did or not is a matter of some debate, Jules, Joe Jackson, etc. Um, but that was a, a stain on the game, and so there was an effort to sort of try to make the game, game a bit cleaner in a variety of ways, one of which was going with the home run uh, and making the ball more lively so it goes out of the park more, but also getting rid of the spitball. Right. Do you want to explain the spitball for those people? Basically, and this is where um, cricket and baseball have a kind of common history, but uh, in terms of, you know, in cricket, they, they change the balls at particular mm. intervals, but they use the ball for much longer than they do a baseball. I mean, they go through hundreds of dozens of baseballs mm. in, a, in, a, in a current major league game. They change them constantly. That wasn't the case in the night in the late 19th and early 20th century, they used the ball till it either fell apart or was lost. Mm. But that meant the ball, as in cricket, became quite worn and pitchers could make it move. Mm. They could do stuff with it. They Pitchers encouraged this by putting all kinds of stuff on the ball, including spit, but also... And tobacco juice. Tobacco juice, all kinds of substances. To, they doctored the ball. And this was accepted in the rules... Um, down to 1920. In 1920, uh, Ben Chapman was killed. Ray Chapman was killed mm -hmm. 
uh, by a pick. She was hit by Carl Mays and the New York Giants, and and he he died. It's the only time mm. a player has died uh, in play in in Major League history because he was hit with a spitball. He also wasn't wearing a helmet because there were no helmets. There. Well, I think part of it may or may not have been the spitball. It's unclear whether Carl Mays was a spitball pitcher. But also the ball was very dark because right. the, because it gets dirty, dirty, it got dirty. dirty. Yeah. right. And so one of the part of the reason for the explosion of hitting after that is the ball all of a sudden you can see it. Right, because they're um, they're because basically pictures were forbidden in 1920 from doctoring the ball anymore. They continue to do so, well, to and sure. they continue to this day to doctor the yeah. ball. But 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 it, it wasn't an acceptable part of the game anymore, and balls were replaced mm-hmm. constantly. So. He, well, one of the intriguing things, because they, they did this in two phases, like before the 1920 season and after the 1920 season, they decided to allow a few pitchers to keep throwing That's the right, spitball. Yeah. They said, look, these are men who, this is how they make their living. Burly grinds. <laughs> they allowed 17 uh, players to continue to throw a spitball. So, uh, you know, they were sort of grandfathered in to, to the spitball rule. And so there's, there were spitball pitchers into the 1930s, just not very many of them. Um, I think that's sort of um, interesting. You know, that that I think is the pivot moment in terms of, of modern rules and what the, the game looks like. Since 1920, though, I mean, there haven't been a huge number of rule changes, at least compared to other major sports. What do you think are the five most important rule changes? And right. we're going to stipulate something here, Frank. Yeah, you know, let's just... stipulate. I mean, the biggest rule change, and clearly the most important in terms of its not just its significance for baseball, but culturally. Uh, was desegregation in 1947. Right. So Jackie Robinson breaking the color line. But the removal of the, the exclusion of African-American players or black players more generally, not mm. just from the United States, um, or the, their exclusion from the game. Uh, okay, so that's far and away the so, so that's far and away the most important rule change. But we're going to... that We've talked about that in the past and that warrants its own episode. So we'll, we'll, we're actually going to exclude that from this... Okay. Discuss because the other stuff seems trivial by comparison with right. that, but the, it is important. It's, um, so the most important five most important five and, most important. Now, by important, do we mean the ones I like or the most significant? Interpret the question however you want to interpret it. Okay, um, I think since nineteen twenty. Yes. That's a shame because some of the fun ones come before 1920. Like in the late 19th century, even batters could ask the pitcher, pitcher where to throw, throw the ball, ball and all that sort well, of thing. Yeah, I think the, the, the first, the first <laughs> 50 years of like the National League, they're changing the rules all the time. Yeah, and, and foul um, balls weren't strikes. Strikes and the number of balls you need to get a walk was different. Yeah. But, you know, I think in yeah. the modern game. Yeah, no, 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 I take your point. I take your point. It's just there are all kind of nuttier rule changes earlier. But, to uh, be sure. Um, okay. So I think... Take this chronologically. Okay, that's one way to do it. Yeah. They lowered the mound in 1969 after the year of the pitcher in 1968. Hmm. Um, I don't remember the year of the pitcher, David. Yes, not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so so that that's, doesn't feel as significant to me as it does to others, so I probably would exclude that. I think the introduction of the designated hitter in 1973. Okay. 50 years ago this month. Yeah, is a big rule change, and I think it's important. And I liked it because I am an American League fan, so I actually mm. liked the designated here. But what I really liked 
was the fact that the two leagues had different rules. The mm. National League and the American League had different rules on this particular question mm. and evolved in different ways that made them interesting. So I actually liked the fact that they were different. Um, I think the rules I liked the least are some of them were introduced because of COVID, and I'll talk about those in mm. a second if you like. But sure. I, So I think the introduction of the designated hitter in 1973 was really, really important, and I would probably put that... Well, I'm not going to put these in order. I'm taking them in... in, in you can, yeah, we can just have five, and we can uh, they can so, be non, so that, I think that's one of want. my five. Okay, that, that that one I had is the number the second most important change. What did you have as your first? Well, let's just talk about the designated rule. And for those non-baseball people, the designated hitter rule was a, a rule that was introduced 50 years ago. The idea was that the pitcher is always the worst hitter on the team 98% of the time. Um, and so instead of having eight really good batters and then one person who doesn't know what he's doing up there at bat. You have a person who just bats in place of the pitcher in the batting order but doesn't play in the field. For 50 years, you had this rule in the American League and not in the National League, but the National League endorsed it last year, I think. Um, it was one of the COVID changes. changes. So so now there's the, the designated hitter everywhere. Uh, for a while, there was a, a, you know, for during that time, you would have... Uh, you know, in the World Series, for instance, the, the times when the two leagues would, would, would face each other, you'd have the designated hitter when they played in the American League Stadium, but not in the National League Stadium. And then there's things going on since interleague play was introduced. Um, it was a very controversial introduction, though, the, the designated hitter. Yeah, no, it was. But um, I, I, I liked it when the two leagues were different and, and evolved two very different styles of play. Right, to be sure. Um, so I, I, it was controversial when it was in, introduced because it was changing the fundamental nature of the game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but but I, think that's, I think that's a really... Um, Definitely an important change. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you rules I don't like. Okay. I don't like the introduction of the designated hitter in the National League. I don't like the introduction of interleague play. Which started I, in 1997. Yeah. Yes. Hate interleague play. I, I also hate interleague The league play. should be separate. And now this, this year, is where we're the old men yeah, saying oh, they're completely changing. balanced. They're playing everybody in both leagues. Mm. And it, the leagues have no meaning as a consequence. They're like the AFC and NFC in, in American football mm. now. Who cares about the AFC and NFC? So I think that's a terrible thing. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, oh, sorry. The one I hate the most hmm. of all was introduced during COVID. This is this is the worst thing that was the worst rule change introduced possibly in the world mm. as a result of COVID was the, in order to to expedite and make uh, extra inning games shorter. Mm. Um, uh, they introduced this automatic runner on second base to start extra innings for both teams, and I I loathe that rule. That's completely contrary to the spirit. It almost seems like a. a Deciding a football match by having a, a, a penalty kicks instead of actually having real extra time. But they do play extra time, time before they play. They play a lot of extra time before they have the penalty kicks, though. So so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. I, I was you know so in terms sorry I haven't told you my favorite ones. I mean okay. I Free agency isn't a rule change so much as a practice and a change in labor. Well, no, I think it, it, it is a you know was a real rule change. Yeah, but I think I think free agency is a little bit like desegregation. Mm. It's it, it's a kind of macro change to the landscape yeah, of the yeah. game as opposed to a change in the way the game Games was played, played on, on the field. field. Okay. Because so, I had free agency, the introduction of free agency as actually my number one rule change um, because I think that really did fundamentally change the game. In very sure, absolutely, ways. yeah. It's... And just for 
people understand what, what free agency is and what it meant. Um, one of the earliest sort of policies introduced by the National League in the 1870s was something called the Reserve Clause they put into players' contracts, which basically said that if you were a player for a team, you could not then at the end of the season offer your services to another team and say, hi, um, I'm willing to play for you if you pay me more, that you essentially belong to the team that you played for and they could do with you pretty much whatever they wanted, um, which meant that that players were exempt from all the sort of regular labor protections uh, that, that other workers in the country have. And this was actually something that was backed up by the courts that said you know, baseball is different than working for an auto factory or a restaurant, that, you, that they have some kind of special uh, dispensation. Uh, and this was challenged first by, uh, by, by a bunch of people, but especially in the late 1960s by Kurt Flood, who was traded by his team uh, from I think the Cardinals to the Phillies. He said, no, I don't want that. And the team said, well, you, you don't get a choice. We own you, essentially. Uh, and, and he challenged them in court. He ended up losing, but that led to the creation of free agency in 1975, which gives players at least some ability to choose who they work for, uh, at least more so than, than, than they did in the previous century. Uh, and it really has changed the game in profound ways. That's why baseball players now make a whole lot of money. It's why Aaron Judge signed a $400 million contract. <laughs> right? I mean, if you look at how much, thinking about Aaron Judge having the new uh, American League record for, for home runs, you know, Roger Maris, who had the old record, was, was not making a very good salary at all. Or Babe Ruth, you know, he was making a lot of money. At one point, you know, Babe Ruth was, was asked whether it was fair that he was making more money than the president. Uh, and I think Ruth's response was he had a better year than the president did because it was during the Depression. Um, but, uh, you know, now players are, are making the sort of millions they are because of free agency. Okay, so that was my number one. Um, I also had, I had designated hitters number two. I had the low rain of the mound, the thing you mentioned in 1969, is number four. Uh, and this is in response to, I think this is one of these sort of recalibration rules where uh, 1968 witnessed the, uh, some pretty low uh, hitting numbers. It was the last year that there was a 30-game winner. Uh, with, I think Denny McLean had 31 yep. wins. Uh, Bob Gibson had a like, 1.12 ERA in that year. Pitchers were really dominating in a way that, that, that they hadn't, and so lowering the mound made it. Uh, gave the batters at least. Yeah, in '67, Carlos Tremsky won the batting title with a batting average of 301. One, right, and very low. low. And I think that you know, in many ways, what, what often these rule changes are trying to do is trying to sort of recalibrate things. You know, thinking about the the shift rule today, uh, that's in response to the fact that that the league batting average is at a you know pretty low point compared to where it has been historically, uh, and tried to sort of you know bring that back to, to parody of something. And and it should be said, like a great pitching performance is, is a great thing to watch. Mm. But offense is more fun, fun than, to, than yes. defense, basically. People want to see scoring. Yes. And, and, and you know, the question is what kind of scoring they want to see, and that's a whole different kind of discussion. But uh, I didn't really play as five, uh, which I'm, I think is a, an important change, but one I don't like. I really liked it when teams didn't play each other, and the only time you saw them playing each other was during spring training or at the World Series. I agree. And I think uh, if I could repeal, the two I would repeal are interleague play. If you want to have the DH in the National League, 
fine, but mm. I would still separate the two leagues and I would um, get rid of that stupid extra innings rule. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like seeing the Yankees and the Mets play. When it was it w- fun the first few years. years but- you know, or, or back if you're going earlier, like when you've seen the Yankees and, and the, the Dodgers or the Yankees and the Giants play when you had the Subway Series where there's either teams that are from the same city, but but um, nobody had, you know, had seen the players play against each other and it was really a novel thing. Um, uh, you know, yeah, th- th- that, those are moments that don't exist anymore because they'd already played three or four times during the season. Um, Although, let, let me... Let me- Play the devil's advocate here and say, you know, Shohei Otani is probably the most exciting player in baseball right now mm. because he both pitches at a high level and bats incredibly well. Um, now everybody, fans in every single major league city will have the opportunity of seeing him. That's true. Because of interleague play and a balanced schedule. So is it is that a bad thing? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the case yeah, in favor of it. Yeah. I, I don't find it compelling because you yeah. can... See him in person. You see him in, in person, person. You, which because you can see all the games on TV or on the internet. Because yeah, in the past you couldn't even see out of market, market games, games right. you, except for the game of the week, um, you know, on Saturday yeah, afternoon yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. But yeah. and now going to the ballpark is so expensive that it's uh, you know prohibitive for many people. The the five dollar tickets are, are a thing of the past. Uh, and the rule change that, that that fascinates me that 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 has changed things. Um, that, that often doesn't get discussed. Ballpark dimension rules from 1959. All right, yeah. So up to that point, if your, if your ballpark had some weird dimensions and there were some ballparks with some weird dimensions, the Polo Grounds, Fenway, a few other places, you know, a bunch of places where, you know, you could have, you know, the, the, the left field line be, be 250 feet and center field be 450, and that was fine, nobody cared. Um which led to some very interesting sort of local physics. Uh, they, they they said they created minimum distances. The for, new Yankee Stadium's a joke, but that's the Yankees. They, they cheat. What do you expect? Yeah, to we be sure. them. Um, but but the, the the standardization of baseball dimensions in the in 1959, they they said uh, the foul poles have to be at least 325, and center field has to be 400 feet. Uh, and and one of the things that happened after that was that, that there's lots more sort of cookie cutter looking ballparks. The parks that were made, especially the dual-use parks of the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, are, are all kind of generic. Um, and there have been some changes since then. We're getting park, parks are a little bit less generic, but you don't have the weird ones like you did, um, like, like, like Fenway. This is yeah, I mean, that's right. Although one of the reasons for the unusual dimensions in a lot of those earlier parks you talk about is because they're right in city centers. Right. Whereas there was a move in the 60s and 70s to move out of city mm. centers and therefore these massive cookie cutter mm. parks were, were built. Most of those are gone now, interestingly. Yes. Um, we're stuck with the very old parks and the very new parks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, the third oldest park now is actually Dodger Stadium after Fenway and Wrigley. That's weird. Yeah. And Dodger Stadium is pretty new, relatively new. new. It was late 50s. Um so yeah, that, that that that's a good one. That's a good one. I hadn't thought of that one. Um, that, that, I like I like quirkiness and weird local yeah. dimensions that you don't I, see. I mean, now what they've done, it's a kind of hipster quirky in that they built new parks with quirks built into them, but they're deliberately like, hey, look, we're being quirky, yeah. as opposed to, you know, building them that way because they were in the middle of a city neighborhood. Right. Or like the polo grounds where that was, you know, a dual use, but a different, very different kind of dual use, yeah. and and that shaped the the nature of of that particular uh, facility. Um, 
I'm very intrigued to see, you know, uh, how, what these new rules look like and, and how they play out. But uh, I think one of the things that really always has attracted me to baseball is, is the sort of reverence baseball has for its past in a way that, that other sports, I mean, all sports have a reverence for their past, I guess. But this baseball has a very particular one. I think that as a historian is one of the things that attracted me to it. Yeah, one of the fascinating things about that is, to me at least, is a significant number of baseball fans would claim the players of yesteryear are better than the players of today. Mm. I mean, you would... Babe Ruth is generally regarded to this day to mm. be the greatest player of all time, and there's a, there's strong evidence to make that argument. On the other hand, there's also counter-evidence to say, no, 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 any player playing today would completely dominate if we were able to transport them back. Mm-hmm. Even a marginal player today... Uh, if you transported them back to 1920, mm. they would be so much better than the competition um, yeah. that that it, it, it's a stupid discussion to have. And we don't do, again, by we, I'm talking about uh, mm. fans of the, the major sports in North America, uh, team sports in North America, don't make the claim in the other sports that the players of a century ago are better than the players of today or even the players of 50 years ago. Right. They just don't. Um because it's kind of a stupid argument. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's interesting because there's a, there's a debate about whether LeBron James is now the best player of all time in basketball compared to Michael Jordan. and But, but people are starting to say, actually, Michael Jordan was a long time ago now. That was 30 years ago. Mm. Maybe it's not quite as, you know. Maybe, uh, but but in general, people don't make that claim in where, where the other three major sports in North America are concerned. But they do in baseball because of this sense of history. And on one hand, again, like you, it's one of the things I find appealing. It's also a little weird. Yes. It's a little weird. Um, and, and I don't know... Well, I do know why it is. I think it's because the game appears to be unchanged. So I, as mm. you let off the show, whenever somebody suggests a change, it's always greeted with horror. Yeah. Um, a change in the rules, even though there have been rule changes throughout. Um, and the numbers are so familiar to people. The statistics yeah. really matter, and the statistics go back to 1876. And I mean, even little rule changes people freak out. I mean, when they introduced batting helmets, people said, oh, this is going to change. It's like, well, no, it's the, the players don't get... Yeah, the old days, you used to get to get hit on the head. <laughs> exactly. And you liked it, and you rubbed it off, and then you went back and played. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people... Freaked out about that because they freak out about everything in baseball. Oh, uh, I, well, again, speaking of history, I mean, uh, ice hockey is a sport I like a lot. When you see video or film of, of old and the goalkeepers and goalies aren't wearing masks, yes. it's amazing. Um, yeah, it yes. boggles the mind when you see yeah goalies without masks on in ice hockey in the fifties. Uh, but anyway, that's a different old discussion. Right. Uh, Time for last drops, Frank. Let's. Uh, well, sorry, no, David. No, are no, you no, optimistic? No. Well, I'm not optimistic. Yet. Well, I mean, I think baseball is at it's at an interesting place in as much as it's not the you know America's pastime anymore, right? Like it, it was. It was clearly that for a century, depending on you know. What, but but I think the the there it doesn't have the the cultural gravitas to that that it uh, and, and place that it did. Um, even 20 years ago. And I think, uh, you know, steroids hurt a lot in terms of people's faith in baseball as, a, as an institution. I think some of the labor, labor difficulties in recent decades have, have also not enamored people to baseball. Um, 
but I think the game has a future. I think it's it's still an exciting game to watch. I'm hoping that these some of these changes will keep it be an exciting game to watch. Um, you know, I think that that uh, you know, it's it's rich history. I think is, it will continue to attract people to the game and make people interested in what's going on today. What are your thoughts? I I think it's fine. I I, I <laughs> you know it doesn't have the same cultural heft that it did seventy years ago. Mm. Um, that's fine. People have lots of different interests. Interest, yeah. I, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with that. I think, um, uh, you know, I, I first of all, live sport is the only thing that's still attractive to advertisers mm. because thanks to streaming and everything else, we don't watch adverts anymore. Mm. And baseball has a unique place. The reason it's still profitable is mm. because of that. You get regional audiences that are very dedicated to their teams, yeah. and they're on every single night for six months every year, and that's very attractive to advertisers, and that's that's a good thing. And and I, so so I, I actually think it's got deeper roots um, than than people realize, mm. and so so I, I think it's in good shape in that regard. The other thing that gives me hope is actually the recently completed World Baseball Classic, which is a terrible name. Mm. They should just I know that World Cup has been trademarked, but they should call it the Baseball World Cup. Uh, but recently completed baseball, uh, the World Baseball Classic, was kind of a breakthrough this time. I mean, they've, they've been playing this since 2006, but it reminded me of the early World Cups in football. We talked about this mm. before Christmas. And the early World Cups in football were, were not that important. Basically, any t- countries that showed up got to play. The home nations, so-called home nations, and Britain thought they were too good for it. Mm. Um, and, and it took a while to take root. And I think that's happened with the World Baseball Classic. But the most recently completed one, which you probably followed, mm. I did, uh, had a great final but the, uh, between the U.S. and Japan, and Japan won. Uh, I think that really broke through. So I think there's a, there's a real possibility for quality international competition mm. in baseball, which doesn't resonate much here in Europe, but actually in the Latin America and, and East Asia where baseball is also played, it really, really went down a storm. Uh, I think that's good for the future. So, so I, I actually think that future's fine i think people are i think people have been predicting the yeah. death of baseball the decline of baseball they're worried about it forever and it, well it's fine the the only that you going back to this point you made earlier about about comparing players today from players from 100 years ago the only other sport that that where people make that claim that people 100 years ago were better at it or 50 years ago um is boxing you know where there's people who claim you know, muhammad ali or Whoever is, you know, is the greatest boxer of all time and would, you know, uh, what have you, Mike Tyson. Um, and boxing has gone into a significant decline in the past 30 years, right? That boxing was a major American sport that, that generated huge audiences and interest and, and, and media attention. And now it doesn't um, in the way that it did. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but but uh, you know one worries if, if baseball might be going down that road. Yeah, I mean if you go back essentially, so if we're back to 1920 again, uh, you know the three biggest sports in the United States were probably baseball, boxing, and horse racing. Yeah. Baseball is the only one that's still a major sport, sport in the United right. States. You'll pay attention to the Kentucky Derby, but that's about it. Yeah, but, but even not, then, it's nothing. No, uh, that's right, and and the Triple Crown and everything mm. else. I mean. Boxing is an individual sport, and I think the history of individual sports is different. Mm. Uh, I think if you're talking about team sports and individual sports, it's difficult to compare like for like. And I suspect, you know, 
you know, when Ali was fighting, there were people saying, oh, yeah, but Jack Dempsey was better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so maybe that is the, that is a sport where people do look to mm. the past and claim actually that mm. the people in the past were better. Um, and, and yeah, so there's some interesting parallels there. But, you know, I think boxing's decline has more to do with, well, the rise of MMA and also concern about head injuries yes, yeah. <laughs> than it has to do with, oh, well, it's lost its cultural capital. I don't think baseball is going to go that way. They're, 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 they're giving guys $400 million 10-year con contracts. That suggests that the people who run baseball are making a lot of money and are invested in the future. Whether you think that's There's a good a idea, idea or not, yes. it's a different discussion. But I, don't, I, think, I think its financial health is fine. I don't think baseball is going anywhere. From your from your lips to God's ears. No, right. no, no. But what I, what I really wanted to know when I ask you if you're optimistic is, of course, you're a Yankee fan, which oh, is, is is just despicable. Um, but but I, I will I would like to remind you that the Yankees have had their longest drought without a World Series championship, second longest drought without a World Championship in the history of the team. So, David, are you okay? Um, so so the, the the high point, the apex of my my Yankee fandom was during the the longest dry spell the Yankees had. Um, you know, so, so when they were always finishing second, third, and fourth in the division, often behind your Red Sox in in the uh, in the late eighties, uh, um, and uh, you know there, there there's some signs of optimism for the Yankees going for the season, but I think they're they're going to have a, a a tough time about it. Um, how do you feel about your Red Sox? Oh, they're going to be. T I don't think they're going to be good at all this year. But uh, I mean, I think the yeah. Dodgers are going to be good. The the, no, the Padres yeah, are going to be really, really good. good. At the Mets. Um, um, yeah. But uh, the interesting thing, one rule change we didn't talk about. I know we have to mm. wrap this up. Uh, is the expanded playoffs? Oh yes. Because the Yankees' dominance, of course, goes back to when there used to be just two teams in the postseason: mm. the winner of the National League and the winner of the American League. Mm. And the Yankees often won the American League because they dominated. One of the problems, and I have some sympathy for the Yankees mm. now. Um, basically, there are two competitions. There's the regular season to qualify for the playoffs, mm. which have been expanded to the point where you know a dozen teams get in. Uh, and then there's the postseason, which is kind of a lottery. It's not a lottery in that good teams win, but you bad teams often don't win. The best team often doesn't mm. win now because it's a playoff format. And I think that so the Yankees' challenge is, and the challenge for any mm. team, even good teams. To win the playoffs is much. It's much more difficult to win the championship now than it was seventy years ago. Mm. I think. Yeah, all right, to be sure. And and so you can have the best team in the league statistically, and and by number of wins as mm. the Dodgers. You know, the Dodgers have had a period of dominance in the past decade. It could be coming to an end. Um, they've only won one championship right. in that period. Anyway, so, no, I think you're so, right. But, but David, I'm 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 concerned about you in the Yankees. Well, season. I'm concerned about you in the Red Sox. We'll, we'll, have, we'll, have a, we'll commiserate over this coming season to see how. Um... I, I, I'm not optimistic about the Red Sox. Okay. They don't seem to be in a good place right now. But okay, that's all right. Time for last drop. What you have? I want to recommend a baseball book. I want to recommend that's more than a baseball book. Howard Bryant's Ricky, the life and uh, what is it? The Life and Legend of an American Original, and it's a biography of Ricky Henderson, who, who was, was a phenomenal baseball player. Yeah, in the especially in the eighties and nineties, played, played for my Yankees when he, they were finishing third to year Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, and Ricky Henderson was a is the all time stolen base leader, um, and, and and a very interesting both for career and single season character. Um, and Bryant's book is excellent, not least because it places Ricky. Henderson and, and his life and his career in the context of broader changes in American 
society. It's a lot about um, race in the Bay Area in the 1960s and mm. 70s. It's just, it's just a great book. So that's my last drop, uh, and it's, it's related to today's I, I'm going to have to pick that up because he, he was just an amazing I – mean, he was a great player, but he was a great player to watch. He was yeah. always very entertaining. You know, he did these snap catches in center field that was just – you know, that the purists objected to. to right now, and and, and he, he, you know, always referred to himself in the third person, uh, which is weird, but 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 fun. Um, right. I want to. Uh, I think as many listeners from my last rep, uh, for as many listeners know, I'm interested in the history of video games and how video games inflect how people understand the past. Uh, and to that end, I want to uh, recommend MLB The Show 23, uh, which is a a uh, baseball game on the uh, PlayStation and Xbox. Um, and the interesting addition they're making for this season is they're making a part of the game about the Negro Leagues. They've partnered with uh, the Negro Leagues Baseball uh, Museum in, in Kansas City um, to to make a part of that game about, about playing in the Negro Leagues. And so you get to play as Bo, uh, you know, uh, Josh Gibson, you get to play as Satchel Paige, you get to sort of see what those ballparks look like and play as those those players uh and they've uh, got bob kendrick who, who works at the, the the museum doing part of the narration for that part of the game and so it's going to expose uh you know the the generation of people playing video games today to that particular moment in baseball history and then hopefully have you tried it yet i have not i don't have either of the 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 uh um I have neither an Xbox nor a PlayStation, oh, so right. I'm a PC gamer generally. So unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to play it. I think it's getting released this week. So the, oh. the, the, the compounding of, of not buying it yet and not having the right tool to play it, I haven't played it yet. But but I think it's a very interesting development to, to you know put this moment in baseball history into this game. Whereas most of these games are up playing with the most recent teams and players to go back and, and I've seen videos of what Satchel Page looks like in the game. It looks like a lot of fun and I like the idea of you know playing having Satchel Page and you play against some modern players and see how that see how that looks like. So cool. Right. All right, David. Yeah. Cheers. cheers. The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh and Frank is Professor of American History and Dean International for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at WhiskeyRebelPod and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.